Uh, if I were to ask the question this morning, are you living in the center of God's will? Are you right where God wants you? Don't answer out loud, but what would your answer be? Just think about it. Is there any area of your life that if you're being honest with yourself, I'm telling God, hold on, maybe later, not now, maybe somewhere after this, after that, I'll do what he asked me to do. Then I'll be in the center of his will. If I were to ask most of us that, you might say, ah, oh, there's a little area, but, you know, most part, I'm walking with Jesus. I mean, after all, I'm here, right? Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. I'm glad you're here. I think we all need this, right? We need the fellowship of iron sharpening iron. And um, all my life, I'm just being honest, I'm going to share a couple things this morning. All my life, I felt like I've lived in the center of God's will. I gave my life to God in eighth grade. I said, God, whatever you want to do with my life, I'll do it. I have never backed down from going anywhere, doing anything with anyone. That's just the truth. It's not bragging. It's just I've given up a lot of things to say, God, I'd rather do this for you. I love what I get to do. I love who I get to do it with. I love my church. But my entire life, I felt like I've said yes to God in everything, and I'm still growing, I'm still learning, I'm still realizing from time to time, it's like I thought I gave God that, but I took part of it back, and I'm giving it back to him again. But my entire life, I've tried my best to to say, God, I want to be in the midst of what you have for me. And then every once in a while, he kind of challenges you and says, really? (laughs) You really think that? And I had one of those circumstances this week, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to do that, God. I don't want to do that. Because somewhere along the line, I felt that there was a comfort in doing what I'm doing, and I don't see comfort in doing what you've asked me to do. Anyone else ever been there? Mark ran into a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he goes, Ken, the pastor said to answer your text. I got the text. I know what the text said. I don't want to answer it just yet. Because for the first time in my life, I felt fear over it. For the first time. My wife will tell you, I will go to Timbuktu, I could care less. I could go to Pakistan and be the only white guy up there that stands two foot above every one of those little short midgets, and, and I will care less. But all of a sudden, this one's like, ah, I don't know about that. And it hit me. And he says, the fear that held us now gives way to him who is our peace. Really? I think the fear is still pretty strong on this one. So I get a text from another pastor friend that says, I'm going to India in February. I want you to come. And I'm like, heck no. Nope. Sorry. Not happening. Know Why? Because they're killing people by the hundreds, Christians, right now. I'm telling you, I could show you a couple of videos that if you saw the videos, you wouldn't sleep at night. That's a fact. You wouldn't sleep at night. The Hindu government that has become radical in their Hindu faith right now 
said that they will abolish Christianity in the country of India by 2030. They are killing everybody left and right. Ken, you want to go to India with me? <laughs> no. And I called them. I said, why now? Because persecution is at its greatest. God does his greatest work. And I thought for a minute, how selfish can I get? I can't go, won't go, not doing it. Nope, not happening. Now, there's a fine line between faith and stupidity, and I think we done crossed the line, right? But what is it that God wants? See, we can say that we're faithful and obedient to whatever God wants us to do until you stop doing it. I don't, I'm not saying I'm going. I'm not saying God wants me to go. But I'm praying about it. And so my out, because we already think about the out, right? Yeah, there's persecution, but that's not legit, right? Because God can still work through that. But money, that's another issue. I ain't got the money. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm broke. <laughs> I don't have to go. Don't have to buy the ticket. You don't need to be there. Right? Sounds good, right? It's legitimate. Don't have the money, don't have to go. But ask yourself a question. You say, well, that's something big. What about the day-to-day? I'm, I'm just, I'm, ta- I'm going to preach to myself here, okay? So you, if you want to listen to that, that's fine. But I'll talk to myself this morning because I know me. I don't know you. I know me. I know that there's a lot of things that I don't want to do because I'm getting comfortable the older I get. Anybody like your lazy boy chair? Your couch? I love it. I love my couch, my chair. It's nice and cushy. Sit down and just kind of forget about life. Just sit back, relax. But what does God ask you to do? Because, you know, faith without works is dead. Oh, yes, we know that we have that scripture memorized. We know that inside and out, frontwards and backwards. Faith without works is dead. Where's your, where's your works? Works can look at a lot of different things, and they don't look the same for everybody. But what is your works that, that validates your faith in Jesus? You answer that. I, I'm, not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. Where's my works? Not just, I can say, yes, I'm called to be a pastor, and that is technically my job, but that's not why I do what I do. It's not. And I'll get into some other aspects of that, how that applies practically later. But what does God ask you to do that you're not doing? When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When's the last time you said, hey, I'll do that because I can. Or I'll do it because I can't, and I'm going to have to learn it to do it. I don't have to trust my own skills, my own wisdom, my own abilities, because I'm not really sure how to do this, but I'm willing to try and learn. going to come back to a lot of stuff that we went through. But turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. For the next 15 minutes or so, and I want to do something a little bit different this morning. Acts chapter 15, and by the way, eh, we'll get into that. I got, Like I said, I got more marbles rolling around in my pea brain than you can imagine. If you would just follow along as I read, just 
first six verses of Acts 17. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. Now stop right there just for a moment. The history behind that. The first two towns were okay-sized towns. They weren't big, not like Thessalonica. It was said that Thessalonica during this time ran approximately 200,000 people. But it would have been easy to stop in the first two villages, the first two towns. It would have been easy to stop there because it was more comfortable. There were less people. It was less hectic. But they chose to stop, not stop there and to keep going through onto, onto Thessalonica for one reason. There was a belief that they needed the gospel more than the smaller towns because the population was greater. You know, put it in our vernacular, it was a big city with a lot of need. And so they chose to go there. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews, then Paul, as his custom was, went in to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned. So kind of read between the lines, what's three Sabbaths? Give me an idea. Three weeks, roughly. He went in there and reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the, uh, of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded becoming envious, I mean, is this anything new? seems like in every chapter the Jews were adamantly against what Paul was doing. They had their own gospel. They had their own traditions. They had their own religion. And everywhere they went, they were ticked off at Paul and even used the word envious in numerous other passages. Took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob. I mean, that's just godly, right? That's Christ-like. We're gonna, we, we, we just hate you so much, we're going to get some bunch of evil men in a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Stop right there. These who have turned the world upside down. I remember reading that for the first time when I was in eighth grade. And I remember thinking, cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, this one household has turned the world upside down, according to these Jewish envious leaders, right? What do people know about you and your household? When your family name is brought up, mentioned, what comes to mind? How would you be known? What's your family name say? I was thinking about this last night again. The Todd name. Man, I hope it's a good name. He says a good name is rather be chosen than great riches. I want, I want to protect my family name, right? I think all of us want that. I want, when, I, when, when someone hears our last name, I mean, do you want to associate it with somebody who spent 30 years in prison, or do you want somebody who, com- who, who was committed to his family and served his community well? faithful to God in church. I, w- I want the latter. I want my name to, to mean something. I want, by the time my grandkids grow up, when I eventually get them, <laughs> hint, hint, just kidding, 
Did I say that out loud? Disappointing. Um, but when when we get there, I want my I want my name to mean something, right? We all do. But the house of Jason, these who have turned the world upside down, they made such an impact on their town that the Jews were torn. They were angry. They're even envious that they were seeing things happen and they weren't. They were angry. So two things that happen. It says, these who have turned the world upside down, and number two, they have come here too. What does it mean in verse 7, or 6, I'm sorry, when they did not find them, they dragged dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. You see that word, too, T-O-O? It means they were there, and now they come here, too. They were over there, and now they come here, too. What, what does that imply? Ask yourself these questions as you're reading the Word. You know what it implies? They did it over there, and now they're doing it here. You know what that reputation is? They were living for the Lord. They were doing it there, and now they're doing it here. And we're angry. We're upset. So everywhere they went, they were known. This house of Jason was known that these guys, they, this family, they stand up for truth and what's right. They did it there, and now they're doing it here too. Jerks. They're mad. They're angry. But what you see in verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explained. So two things that they did. Paul reasoned the Scriptures with them. And the word reasoned in the Greek language is actually kind of interesting. It means he had a dialogue. This particular passage, it doesn't infer that he was preaching at them. He wasn't forcing his opinions on them. It literally means that he had a dialogue with them. He's just dialoguing. You know what dialogue is? They just talked back and forth. They just had conversation revolving around the Word. You know what that teaches us? You don't have to slam your spirituality on someone else. You don't have to beat them over the head with your religion, so to speak. You don't have to bash them over the head with more Bible verses. They simply had a conversation. They simply had a conversation. They just talked back and forth. In other words, Paul had an open dialogue with them. Peter did it the same way in 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me go over there just for a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3. And I know he can get up there on the screen faster than I can get to it in my Bible here, but go Chiefs. <laughs> uh, we're almost there. 1 Peter, my page is a second. Here we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, oh, that's 2 Peter. And verse 15 says this. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and in fear. Being ready to have that conversation. What makes you different than the world around you? My goodness, we're coming into a time frame of, of our culture where 
there's not much difference between the church and the world. Has anyone else noticed this all around us? There's not much difference. And if there's not much difference, why would the world want what we've got? What's going to change in their life? If I can live the life that I want to live around everything that pleases me and still have a little bit of Jesus too. Does anyone else think about this? What is the difference between us and the world? He says you're a peculiar people, chosen people. You're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. God's Word uses all kinds of words to demonstrate this. And Peter simply said you, you need to be able to give an answer of the hope. that If you have the hope, you should be having conversations about it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, First Thessalonians 2, verse 13 says this. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. What's going to change the heart of man? What's going to change his way of thinking, his motives for doing what he does? What's going to change man? The Word of God that effectually works in them. And that's what Peter was saying. 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Um, back over, that, over there. 1, verse 23 says this. He says, Having been born again, not of corruptibility, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which li- lives and abides forever. It's that Word of God, once it gets on, in us, it begins to take over and, and, and it grows within us. What might have Paul reasoned with them about? Have you ever thought about that? He's going into the synagogue. I mean, I mean, think about it. The synagogue is what? Jewish. Somebody said it. And what is what was the basis of the Jewish faith? The what? The Torah, the law, right? So all these rules, regulations, guidelines, what might have Paul went in there and talked to them about? I mean, he just had a conversation. Let's go in here, let's see who the leaders are in this city, and let's have a conversation. That's pretty bold. I mean, I'm going to confess something this morning. Have anybody ever seen the Jehovah's Hall, Jehovah Witness buildings? How most of them don't have windows? Most of them don't have windows. You ever notice that? There are a couple that do. I always had this dream of like just some night when they're jam-packed, just opening the windows. Hey, what are you doing in there? Because <laughs> they always keep everybody out in there. You, most of them don't have windows, but every once in a while when you see one, it's like, what are you doing? I just want to go in there and say, what are you doing? I, just for the fun of it. I don't know. I know it's crazy. I'm whacked out in the head. But have you ever thought about this? They reasoned the scriptures. They went into the, I mean, that takes boldness. It's, it's like me going to India and walking into one of the temples and saying, you guys are crazy. Let's have a conversation about this. And they're like, I mean, think about that. There are, synagog- there are temples all over India. Most Westerners don't go in them. We know what's going on in there. They're Hindu. There's a million gods. I mean, Jesus is just one more that I wouldn't mind adding to the repertoire. 
So think about that. Going into a place that you disagree with from the onset and saying, let's talk about this, that's pretty bold. That's pretty gutsy. But what do you might talk about? Well, I, I just think about may, maybe from the Word of God, the authority of Scriptures. Didn't maybe Paul have that conversation? It's out in First Thessalonians 2.13. It wasn't man's word. It wasn't man's experience. It wasn't man's opinion. It wasn't, this is the word of God we're basing this off of. Not my thoughts, not my actions, not my opinions, not my experiences. Or how about from Romans 10.9, the deity of Christ. Wait, we're not going there yet. We don't agree with that. But can you imagine Paul just standing on the word of God and being able to give an answer of the hope? Or how about Romans 3.23, the sinfulness of man. Oh, wait a minute. I go give sacrifices for that. No, you don't have to. Jesus died. Yeah, but I'm still going to sacrifice. But there's already been given a final sacrifice. He he was a propitiation for our sins. I mean, he, he, he died. First Corinthians 15, he already died, was buried for three days, rose again. You don't have to deal with that anymore. I know what you say, Paul, but this is what we... I mean, it got to the point where all these things, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You don't have to keep the law anymore. You remember those, that Galatian book? The, 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 the law was given as a schoolmaster to bring us to grace. You don't, have to, you don't have to follow these laws anymore. Yes, we do, Paul. You don't understand. Can you imagine him going in here and refuting everything that they believed and stood for? But here in America... There's two things we don't talk about. Politics and religion. We don't bring those things up. They're divisive. Right. And if we don't bring them up, how will we have any effect in this world that we live in? How will we? They had a conversation. I don't think Paul went in there beating them over the head. I don't think he was in there saying, I'm right, you're wrong. He didn't go in there and say, you guys got, hey, let, 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 let me set you guys straight. They had a dialogue. That's what it meant that he went in there and reasoned with them. And he didn't reason from his own opinion. He reasoned from the scriptures. You see, I don't care who you talk to in this world that we live in, your opinion doesn't matter. It really doesn't. What you believe concerning the Bible is irrelevant. And that's why I keep saying, folks, we can argue denominations till we're blue in the face. We can, we can argue even amongst believers, Calvinism versus Arminian, until we're blue in the face. We can argue doctrine till we're, till, till we're angry with each other. Because it's your opinion versus mine, and we both say we're using the Bible to interpret it. But when it's my story of what God did in my life and how it changed, that's irrefutable. And I don't see the woman at the well gone, having gone to Bible Institute before she went and told everybody what happened to her. We forget that. If God has changed your life, use it to help God change someone else's life. Now, no, you can't help God, but I mean, they use a, be a vessel for God to use. But you see that there was a burning passion. There was a brave witness, but there was a burning passion. In Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, says this, I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying, and my conscience is also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ 
for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom your fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternal blessed God. He says, I wish I were accursed to help them understand this. But they're chosen. That God loves them. Cares for them. Answer this question. I'm preaching myself. I'm asking myself this question. When's the last time I felt accursed to share the gospel with somebody? That if I don't share it, they may go to hell. If I don't open my mouth, I may miss an opportunity for God to work through me. I wish myself accursed for these people's sake. Anybody else think that that's pretty strong language? That's strong language. And it's not my language, that's God's language. And he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. He says, I want them to be saved. Who do you want to be saved? I'm just going to go out on a limb, but I'm, I'm just going to go on a limb and say, I think if you want them saved, I think God wants them saved too. <laughs> I don't think God's going to say, no, 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 not, not him. Don't, no, nah, he's, nah, that's a tough one. Let's just move on next. I, I don't see God sitting up there doing that. Even if you are a Calvinist, I just, I just don't see that. I see God saying, whosoever will. For God so loved the world. And if you have a burden for someone to come know him, I think God's saying, yeah, I want him too. Just saying. But he had a burning passion for them to know. They had a bold discourse regarding Jesus. Look at verse 3. It says, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. Saying, this Jesus... He, he, he went in there and, and said, listen, this man paid the price. No more sacrifice needed. He was the propitiation for our sins. He paid the price. He was the final sacrifice. He was the per- perfect lamb without spot and blemish. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. I don't mind you trying, but you, you can't do it on your own. You can't have to depend on Jesus and what he did. But he had to suffer. 1 John 2, 2. I won't take the time. And he had to rise from the grave. <laughs> Look back in Acts chapter 2. We hit this months ago. Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 31 says this. Uh, right here. He foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that he's, his, his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out, out this which you do see now see and hear. He said, this man, he died, he rose again, and then he left, and get, left us the Spirit to help us. And he's exactly who he says he was. In Acts chapter 17, we won't spend time there a lot today in verses 23 and 24, but here's what it says. Verse 23 says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship about f- without knowing him, I proclaim to you, God, 
who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. We could go on there. Question. Are you in the center of God's will? Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Are you who God wants you to be? And this is where I want to just take a minute and do something a little bit different this morning that we don't do every week. We're going to have a conversation.